Okay, good. Hello, this is Pushing Boundaries, a podcast about pioneering research, breakthrough discoveries, and unconventional ideas. Mm-hmm. I'm your host, Dr. Thomas R. Lunig. My guest today is Stephen Gillenhall, film and television director, writer, and producer. <clears throat> His producing credits include Shattered Mind, about a woman with dissociative identity disorder, and the feature documentaries, Exquisite Continent, Undream Interpretation, and In Utero, about prenatal psychology, which is how we actually met Stephen and I when he interviewed, interviewed me for In Utero. Stephen is also a published poet. Among his other credits is being the father of actress Maggie Gyllenhaal and actor Jake Gyllenhaal. A few years ago, he made a big career pivot, as they say nowadays, and founded the Identity Development Institute in Los Angeles, which provides a novel form of psychotherapy initiated by Franz Rubert, and I definitely want to talk about that. One more thing about Stephen that's kind of interesting. He's of Swedish and English descent. Through his father, he's a member of the Gyllenhaal family, descendant of the cavalry officer Nils Gunnarsson Hall, (laughs) who was ennobled in 1652, that's even before I was born, (laughs) by Queen Christina of Sweden, who conferred upon him the crest and family name Gyllenhaal. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you, thank you. So, so I can tell you a little yes. bit about that story. Sure. So, so my father um, told me yeah. that that it really the reason why my great 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 grandfather or whatever it was, whoever yeah. it was, yeah. um, was ennobled, as you said, I like that yes. term, um, because he he wrote a book on butterflies, yeah. and the king loved that book of butterflies. It was illustrated, illustrated book of butterflies. But that's the reason. He was he was he was made a, a noble, and he talked about that. Jake talked about it actually because he'd heard the story on a on a yeah. some talk show, and and he was told that it had been researched and it was actually a book on insects, rather than butterflies. But I like the story that it was butterflies. My my father, the whole idea of transformation, the whole idea that yes. we start as a yes. caterpillar and we we end as a butterfly, and that was I think my father's hope for. For me and my brothers and sisters, I have five younger brothers and sisters, and certainly it's it's worked out that way more or less. Um, yeah. So, so, so that's a yeah. little more about that story. Okay. Okay. So, how how did you? Let's start with uh, your sort of major career, uh, filmmaking. How did you get into that? Well, I think I think I to to, to keep it in sort of the terrain of psychology, which is something that's very important to both you and I, and okay. psychiatry. Yes. Um, I grew up in a very religious town, and some people might call it a cult. Um, I, I'm not totally comfortable with that term, but people have called it that. It was very religious. And I, my parents were also alcoholics, um, and struggled a lot, and had six kids all together. My father was also in World War II, um, and, and in fact, um, worked with was with Patton's Fourth Armored Division, and mm. and and freed the concentration camps. So he saw the horrors of war um, on all different fronts. And I think um, 
struggled, he struggled, my mother struggled, and so as a consequence I struggled with what's life about? And, um, and, and I was being told these things about heaven and hell and angels and devils, and I began to think kind of quietly that I was crazy, you know, that I was nuts. And um, I luckily went away to college because I was desperate, frankly, to get out of the town. Mm -hmm. um, and in college, I struggled and still thought I was crazy because so many of the kids there were sort of preppy kids and I was this weird religious kid. Um, Which college was it? Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut, one of the small Ivies, a very good school. I was very yeah. lucky. I was very much into athletics and mm -hmm. um, as part of how I got in. Right. Um, and. Um, and struggled. And then there were drugs and alcohol and then discovering sex and life and all the things that you discover in college. <laughs> so I continued to think yeah. I was pretty crazy yeah. until one day I had a girlfriend yeah. who knew about movies. I knew nothing about movies. I grew up with no sense of movies at all. And there was a wonderful movie um, theater on campus. Um, and I started to see movies. I saw Ingmar Bergman, Fellini, Rossellini. Yes. And all of a sudden I went, I am not crazy. These people are speaking to me. And one day I went, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. And having no idea what it meant, having no idea how to make a movie at Trinity where there was no film department at all. I just went sort of the way, you know, you and I talked about this earlier about, you know, what drives you. I was, I was driven to make movies. And I talked some of the rich kids in school to give me a little money to shoot an 8mm film. I then hitchhiked down to, to Yale University, which was just in New Haven, just south of where we were, which was Hartford. Pretended I was a Yale student and used all their equipment, borrowed <laughs> equipment from Wesleyan and the 16mm equipment and shot footage there. And just whatever it took, I was going to make movies. Because it made me feel sane. It started me really on a journey towards sanity. And in fact, at that point in college, as I began to make films, I went to my first therapist, uh, Dr. George Higgins, who is a counselor there. And, and it really was a marriage between filmmaking and what filmmaking allowed you um, and, and therapy, which I had never even thought was a possibility to open up and start talking about what was really going on inside, begin to explore where therapy was in 1972, which was, of course, sort of still Freudian, you know, mm -hmm. still, still, and particularly it hadn't trickled down, you know, and was, was nowhere near where it is today. Right. Um, but there was dreams, there were all these things that were not unlike cinema, and so I began to move forward in my life, thanks to both of those, thanks to great, great filmmakers who were very brave and, and such, such a, I mean, Fellini, uh, La Strada, you know, I mean, yes. The Godfather, then later, all these movies, yes. you know, Bertolucci. Yes. Um, and, and so much also spoken about that there was a response to World War II and the horrors of the war and the bewilderment yes. of the war. So, so the two of them came together very much for me and pretty much all the way through my career, even though there are only certain movies that you might call psychological movies, everything was always the exploration of psychology and character, psychology and what is driving somebody. And that's so much the, the, the really the, the, the meat, the, 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 the main course of what really good filmmaking is about, is what makes us tick. And what are the consequences when we tick in a certain way? What happens when we tick in a different way? And so it was, uh, I had a field day for years and years and years. 
And along the way, I had one therapist. After by the end, I had probably forty therapists. No, so many therapists. I did. Yeah, it's about thirty therapists. Because I was in Hartford, Connecticut. Then I was, then I was in New York, and New York, New York, and worked in New York for a while. Then I came to L.A. and had therapists there, and in psychoanalysis and object relations and post Freudian, and you know, and then began to get involved with almost every form of therapy. That really informed both my own sanity and also um, my work, the, the filmmaking. So, how how does one become like a film director? How did you get from like being a nobody to actually being told that yes, here is you know I don't know ten million dollars make a film? How how does one jump into that? I. I think there are about as many ways as there are film directors, uh-huh. and um, I think in terms of what happened with me, was it was a lot about story. I had some, I said, some fascination with story. Um, I wasn't a great writer. I, I wrote a lot over the years. I was it was never my strong suit in a lot of ways. As writing it was much more directing, a hands-on kind of. Um, Um, ability that I had. I was an athlete, you know, in, in mm-hmm. high school and a little bit in college. Mm-hmm. And I think that just getting your hands dirty, being tough, is a piece of what being a director is. The first movie I made was called Exit Ten. It was based on a Catherine Mansfield short story. Mm-hmm. I actually went to the library trying to find a short story because Alfred Hitchcock, I had read, said, "Don't make movies about novels. That's impossible. Find a short story. That's the structure of a of a movie." And he's right. I think. Movies are really short stories, and nowadays with with television and series, now the novel form has really come into cinema, has really come into television in a way that it couldn't really do when it was movies. You always had to truncate whatever a novel was when you were making a movie. So my first movie, which was a short, um, was based on this Catherine Mansfield short story, and I rewrote it. It was it was based in the nineteen, I guess around the turn of the century, turn of the twentieth century. And um, I updated it and shifted things around and used that structure, and um, and cast the movie in New York. I was terrified to cast. I, just, I didn't know what I was doing. I had gone to college. One of my girlfriends was an actress, but I didn't fit in with the actors at all. Um, so I sort of didn't know what to do. And the first time I went out to to cast, I was terrified. You know, I went out to who am I going to find to cast? What do I do? What what do I say to actors? What what happened? Yeah, and and the psychology helped. By then, I had a little psychology, so I was more open to talking about feelings in a way that I wouldn't have been when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then luck or something that's yeah. either you sort of have it or you don't. Yeah. But I think that's right. not entirely true. And that first half-hour film I made was was shortlisted for Academy Awards, and um, from there I ultimately went to L.A. Terrified of L.A. Also, you know, terrified of. You have to deal with your terror. Yes, you know it's, it's a piece of what it is. You go. I don't belong here. I mean, the first right. time I drove into the MGM studio lot, I went. I do not belong here. I'm a kid from the hills of Pennsylvania. This is like this is like where all these musicals were made. This is like a holy mackerel. But you go in. Your heart's beating away like this, you know, and you walk in and you somehow get through the meeting and you lose. You don't get the first five or six jobs, and after a right. while you get more and more comfortable and. So then, um, then I got did some TV, uh, some after-school specials, some kids movies. I was unemployed for a while. I became a handyman for a while. When Maggie was 
And actually, when, when Maggie was three or four years old and Jake was born, I couldn't get a job. So I looked young. Yes. And I went around. We had a nice house in an area called Hancock Park. And I just, when I painted houses to get through college, and I went around one block over from my house and said, I'm a handyman. And I worked as a handyman for, for a bunch of months. Um, actually, for, for quite a while. I, and, and then at the same time, I was negotiating with Disney to run their TV department, which I would have been terrible at. But I had done enough TV shows that so I was literally wearing jeans and a T-shirt splattered with paint. I would drop my kids off at a very high-end school, which is where they were going. Uh, and then I would change into fancy clothes, go to Disney. By then, I wasn't so scared of the studios. And um, negotiate with a guy named Tom, I forget his last name now, who was running Disney to run the TV department. And we'd talk, and we'd talk it through. And then I'd get back in my car, and I'd change back into my clothes, and I'd go, and I'd fix a toilet, or I would fix this or fix that. And then and I was working for this one woman at one point who um, – and I never told anyone, because usually in Hollywood, you know, all these people, they nowadays they'll come to me and they say, look, I know I'm fixing your, your furnace, but I'm also a writer. Can I send you my script? You know, so, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Right. so I never told anyone I worked in the movie business at that point. Right. I just went, I'm a, I'm a handyman. That's all I am. So this woman had me, she was from her, her son had sent over this beautiful like cabinet from Italy. And I was to, to fit it into her living room and I was the wrong person to do this job my carpentry work is metza metza passable you know so I'm sitting here cutting 45 degree angles trying to make this work I'm going I am going to ruin this thing and I get a call from someone you, we just picked up your TV show um, we picked up the script that you've been developing you have to start production in three days <laughs> and I turned to the lady and I said um, I didn't tell you this but actually I am a, a director and a producer, and, and I have to get someone else to do the job, thank God for her. And she said, I knew it. I knew you were something else was going on here. So I didn't hide it very well. And off I went. And that movie was, actually, that's a funny story, too. And that movie was called Help Wanted. And it was about a father who lost his job and what happened to the family and all those kinds of things. Anyway, got nominated for an Emmy. Um, and I flew to New York with Maggie, who was around seven at the time. Mm-hmm. And she got this fancy dress that she got, and fancy. We got a dress for her to wear to the Emmys, and she was very excited. Um, and um, so we sat at a table, and um, you know, and they were talking about the awards. And up came, you know, and now nominated for best children's show, nineteen whatever it was, uh, the name it help wanted. Oh, daddy! Oh, daddy! 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 And someone else won. And she burst into tears, burst into tears, just started weeping. And that was the first moment Hollywood fell in love with Maggie, because the whole place just fell in love with her for her crying about that. So, so, but then, that, you know, I was winning awards and slowly it went, you know, you, you move up. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a, you know, it's a process. It's, you know, you, you make mistakes, you figure yeah. it out, you keep going. Yeah. And so that's how I more or less got into the business. So was Shattered Mind the first movie that was, you know, really sort of underpinned by psychology? No, I would say almost everything was. Almost. Not, not everything, but for instance, um, Shattered Mind was much later on. Yeah. Um, I did, let's see, I did um, Family of Spies, which is a really interesting story, true story about a, a Navy officer who, um, 
who was who basically manipulated his family into spying with him and destroyed the family completely, was about um, a, a, a part. One of the characters played by Leslie Ann Warren was an alcoholic. I knew all about mothers who were alcoholics. The whole psychology of that, so that played very big in all of it. I rewrote parts of it a little bit to be a little bit more precise about what happens when you have a dysfunctional criminal as a father, how complicated that is even, you know, not to overjudge him, but to make him a three-dimensional character, but he was crazy. He ultimately went to jail. His oldest son, who he manipulated, also went to jail for life, the two of them. The family was destroyed. Then I made another movie called Killing the Small Town, which won, which was nominated for all the Emmys when it came. Also, Family of Spies was nominated for a bunch of Emmys. And then the next thing I did was called Killing a Small Town with Barbara Hershey, and that was about an axe murderer. But it was about what, and she was she got off um, ultimately by a, with a lawyer played by Brian Dennehy. They mm. all got nominated for for Emmys at that point, um, um, and it was all about what triggered her to kill with an axe this woman, and it was all about psychology. There was a psychiatrist played by Hal Holbrook, actually, and Hal, and we, we shot it, we were, I was always like, a, I shot like crazy when I was young, you know, it's a 20 hour days, the crews hated me. I would just go through money, just gonna try and get the thing as right as I could. The line producer on Killing a Small Account pulled, opened up a briefcase and had a pistol inside of it and said, no, no more film, and I just went, okay, and then I got more film. So, <laughs> but anyway, we, we ended up shooting Hal Holbrook at three o'clock in the morning, his stomach was growling so bad, we couldn't shoot. So we had to find someone to go out to find. He said, you gotta get me saltines. If you give me saltines, it'll go away. So we were driving around in the middle of Dallas, Texas, trying to find some, someone finally found 7-Eleven, came back with the, with the crackers and, and he ate them and we were able to shoot this scene. So Hal was the, was the, was the therapist in the scene who helped understand, well, I think it's really important, helped understand what really causes criminal behavior? You know, uh, my position on all of these things increasingly is, you know, jail is not the solution. Jail is, you know, the demonizing people who have these, you, know, you start looking at the neurobiology, you start yes. looking at the psychology, you start looking at the trauma that happened to anyone who is a criminal, and it becomes more and more difficult to judge them. You know, it's if they're, you know, but for me, is really real. You know, so much about trauma now, yeah. is just making clear that so that was about really the fact that it was a horrible murder which of course played really well on television you know it was like whatever um, but ultimately it was about a much deeper subject which was she was an innocent on the deepest level and um, so that was they were all they were all pretty much psychological I mean I think and and um, I did some garbage you know I used to shoot some things you know for money you know, action scenes where you Sure. blow things up and you have backlight and you have three cameras and you tell the stuntman not to go too wild <laughs> um, and then you you know and you whatever you know so yeah. I did one was three for them one for me that was that was the thing three for them three, three for what the studio wants one for me so, so what yeah. tri what triggered your interest in prenatal psychology to make the in utero film so what happened was um, I um, had been married. Maggie and Jake were um, my kids from that. Ultimately, my wife and I divorced. We were really going separate ways. Part of that had to do with the fact that my work in psychology was really moving me in a very different direction from where she was going. And I think we finally, we, we, we parted ways, although we're still good friends. Um, and um, I then fell in love with Kathleen and um, uh, got married a second time. And, and I don't think I could have been with someone who didn't have a child because the children for me 
it's just so deeply ingrained in in what matters to me. I mean, I just, I, I, you know, I, I love pets. Pets are wonderful. I had tons of pets, but it's not a child. And, and, and you know, uh, um, so, and she was having problems having a child. And so um, we were sort of struggling with it and decided, hey, why not make a documentary? We're in this privileged position. And it's a very privileged position I have lived in, you know. Um, you know, I may have grown up in a weird way and a cult and all that kind of stuff. I'm still a white guy. I still got an education, and it makes it a whole lot easier, particularly yes. the United States, which is a profoundly racist country. I don't care what anyone says. And that was what Losing Isaiah was about, the movie Losing Isaiah. Um, um, I learned really how how really racist we are, whether we want to be or not. So, it, you know, I had a lot of privilege, and um, I had the privilege at that point of saying, let's make a documentary about what what is how does pregnancy work what is the we, we need to understand the science around pregnancy we need to talk to the pop, top people in the world of which you were one of them and and so we made that movie um and in the process of that learned enough and kathleen got pregnant and and luke who's now um almost eight years old and is is as i said to you he wants to be a mathematician maybe an actor which is probably a strong suit all in all but a mathematician or maybe a basketball player he's right. into those things right. he's a little short for basketball but he he's got the he's got the goods to be an actor who knows what he's going to do i never had never really controlled my kids they they do what they want and that's, right. Right. celebrate whatever it is yeah so then uh let's talk then about your most recent sort of uh career choice france rupert and the Identity Development Institute. How did you get involved with that? And well, what, what happened? Is that, what is that all about? So what what happened was we so we made um, in utero, yeah. which was all about the science um, from really from conception through really through birth, but a little bit further sometimes, a little bit of um, you know um, yeah. perinatal yeah. stuff yeah. as well. But but mainly it's about the, the pregnancy period of yeah. time. And uh, we were in Europe, um, actually in, uh, on vacation in Paris. And but we were also marketing the film around the world, and we got a call um, from some people in Amsterdam who said, "Your movie and the science in it has captured exactly what our psychological work is uncovering." This was 2016, um, well before so much neurobiology has really shifted our perspective, particularly on on pregnancy. So it was very early on in all that process, and I think in utero was ahead of its time. Only because we really did get people like you, Gabor Mate, and you know a lot of other Catherine Monk, yeah. and some great people who really have been leading the way to how critical pregnancy was. So, so they said this psychological work that we're doing um, absolutely um, is is captured by by your film, and we're using your film, um, and we would like it if you'd come to Amsterdam. I'd never been to Amsterdam and be a part of a panel and we're going to show the film and and um you know and and you'll have fun so we, we went to amsterdam which was fabulous and i kind of thought okay this is a little strange this whole idea which was human beings can sense other human beings on a very nuanced and deep level called resonating and if you have this method, which I then later learned, you can pick up incredible details about the trauma in their lives. This is before trauma was really even being discussed. 2015, I was 2015, 2016. And I went, eh, a little crazy, maybe, you know, a little out there. 
but very nice people, really lovely people. Had some wonderful meals in Amsterdam. Did this panel, and um, and and I kind of went. This is intriguing, but um, I've been through a whole lot of psych- psychological stuff and kind of wanted to break from it all and went. We'll leave it at that. We then went back to L.A. and um, we got a call from a woman in Asia, Christine Wong, who also works with IOPT with Franz Rupert and, and those people, and said, "We'd like to fly to L.A. and interview you and Kathleen on the film because they felt exactly the same way about the importance of prenatal development and um, the profound." impact it has on the rest of your life and how they've been picking it up in therapy. So we did the interview. They had one camera and one little weird light and I'm looking at them like a filmmaker and going, these people don't know what they're doing, uh, you know, whatever. When they've flown all the way from China yeah. to do this and whatever. And then she said offhandedly, would you like to do a session? I said, okay, do a session. And that session changed my life. And what changed happened? my life. What happened in that session? Well, I don't want to go too much into no, it. No, no, really. just uh, but I had. But by that point, yeah. I had been in therapy, analysis, twelve-step programs, everything, for almost fifty years, forty-five years, trying to figure out why was I a little bit crazy? Yes. Why? What? What had happened to me? And nothing ever really got clear. I mean, it, it was okay. I learned to live with it. In that one session. It all became clear, and um, and again, in a way, this is this is about me, of course, and, and I'm going to be doing more of these, and I'll get more into it. But at the moment, I just want to say that nothing had ever pulled back the curtain from my earliest time, from about two years old, when an event happened, two to three years old, that was the core core trauma that that made me shape myself in a way. That made me feel crazy. I wasn't crazy. I was, it was quite as with anyone who's dealing with trauma. The organism is brilliant, but it sort of knocked me outside the box of normalcy. And after that, um, I began to take that work very seriously. I then went to Europe to train, and for the next eighteen months. Oh, by then I had decided to become a therapist. By the way, by then I went. My kids were doing great. I'm, you know, I'm getting older. You know, it's it's a lot of work. I, at that point, I had a two or three year old. I went. I don't want to go to. I don't want to go away to Atlanta or Vancouver or a lot of things are shot in Canada and not be around this child. I want to be around him. So I decided to become a therapist. So I'd gone back to school to become a therapist. But when I discovered this method, I went. This is so far beyond any kind of therapy I'd had. And as I said, by then I'd had like forty therapists that uncovered that. Um, well, that I'd been molested as a child, and I had not remembered it at all, and it came up, and um, um, and I didn't believe it really at first, and then over the next um, two years, three years, it became clearer and clearer, and then I began to go back and research where I came from, and then um, it got confirmed, and and all because of this profound therapy. Now, you know. There's a, we know now there's much more of that stuff that goes on than people think, but a lot of people have not had that happen to them, and the work has been really about uncovering. We've been finding in the work that I do with the Institute now, first I was trained in it, and now I, now I do it, um, that almost all of us are traumatized to some degree or other. 
for me, it was not a, it was, there weren't that many times that it happened, so it was damaged, but not like some people are damaged. But there are so many different forms of trauma because the, the organism at, during conception and for the first, you know, three years actually, pre-verbal development, very fragile organism that can be very easily knocked off kilter because we don't know what human beings really are. We barely understand what we are. So, so that's how I, <laughs> that's how I came to this and came to believe in it and have come to believe in it even more. I've been very gentle about the work. I haven't pushed the Institute a lot. I've wanted to grow. We train people. Um, you know, I've trained, we've trained maybe 20 people now. Now other people are doing the training. It's still very small. Um, I'm in the middle of three or four different projects, all of which will kind of cross-pollinate. And I think in the next few years, you're going to see, as people have seen with, you know, Gabor Mate, uh, you know, Wisdom of Trauma, it will be exponentially expanding this work. So, and um, I'm having a great time. I'm, my life is, is, has become a, a, a miracle for me to look around and go, how in the world, how in the world did I get to this place? And, you know, a lot of the therapies I did did not work very well. And some of the things were really, really wrong. But all of them were with people who were trying. Mm-hmm. They may have been trying for the wrong reasons. Right. They may have gone down avenues that were wrong. But how many avenues have we all gone down that, that have been wrong? And and now I think we're getting a clearer and clearer position about how miraculous we human beings are, but how fragile and delicate and how easily we can be, we, we can really be not able to find our full selves so we can live full lives. And to so, me, that's... So I, I watched I watched a video uh, of, of you uh, and doing sort of therapy, I, I guess yeah. being the patient, if you like, at the Identity Development Institute, and you were standing in the middle and you were surrounded by a group of people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I think you said a sentence, I don't know what the sentence was, but just a regular sentence like, how are you today, let's say. And then you selected different people to sort of be the words of the sentence. So like you said, you be how, or you be are, mm-hmm. or you be yeah, yeah. end. And you know, having done Gestalt therapy a long time ago, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have no trouble, you know, visualizing, let's say, someone in a dream being followed by someone and running away from someone. And I would say, okay, now become the person who is pursuing you, okay? But how do you become a word like are or end or how? Well, let, let me let me. We could even play with this a little bit if you want to. But sure. I think I think. Um, well, let's 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 play with it a little bit. And I want to say maybe take ten minutes and I'll do a little session okay. with you. Sure. I think what's what's very important to be aware of is that I think some interesting things will happen. But this is only going to be a few minutes. Okay. And and the the depths to which this work will go, and also the things that may come up may not come up, but may come up, are handled with much more care and time. You're a professional. So you can also call me afterwards if you want to to talk it through a little bit because sometimes it takes some time to process. Okay. But what, so I, what I'll do is I'll, I'll instruct you sort of how this works and then I'll explain to you why words matter. Okay. So, so what is it what right now, more than anything else right now, in a sentence, a short sentence, a long sentence, it can be whatever you want, um, what, what matters to you now? What do you want to know about? What are you worried about? Just quickly, what, is, what would that sentence be? Uh, 
Uh, what am I worried about? Or what do you want to know about? Or yeah. Oh, I, I, okay. I want to know about how this identity development therapy works. Okay. Okay, that's 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 one way of going at it. But I almost say, yes. and that's that's fine. That's fine. I would say generally, I would want to know something more emotional and personal. But that's okay. 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 But you've done that. Let's just go with that. Okay. Okay. Um, pick three of three words. Actually, pick two words out of that. Two words. How works. How and works. Now, to have picked to have come up with that sentence. And to have then picked those two words, even though it's a short period of time, demands a tremendous amount of neurobiology, educated, knowing about words, all of those kinds of things. The, the intellectual acumen to take the sentence, so I'd like to know about the Institute, there's a kind of lightness to that indicates aspects of you. So everything's kind of working. And you, as you know, neurobiology doesn't function on its own. It's also involving biology. So your whole organism has been participating and bringing things to the surface. For me to begin to pick up, sort of like radio signals, and I'm a radio receiver, just picking up stuff right now, okay? And now the next step is find two objects in the room. You can be holding them if you want, or they can be around the room. And, and, and take, and this is, this is replacing people with an object, and I will be sort of resonating as a facilitator, because you can either do it as a group or one-on-one. -on -one. Okay. Um, it's a way of, they become objects that mirror an aspect of you. Okay, because so, everything, of course, is energy. So pick sure. two objects. Okay, television set? Okay, well, which is, well, not the television set, the, the well, the, the, the computer screen, computer okay. screen. And which word is that? Computer. No, no, so, so you have two words, how oh. and works. Oh, yes, okay. Make one of the words, apply that to the, to the computer screen. Which, which word? How. Okay. And what about works? Microphone. Microphone. And you can touch them if you want. You can do whatever you want. Okay. Now, what I want you to do is repeat the sentence, the whole sentence, and then when it feels right, say you're ready and we'll start. So just repeat the sentence, more or less. Uh, the first sentence that I started? Yeah, yeah, the sentence that, yeah, yeah. Okay. I wonder how the identity development Institute therapy works. Okay. And then take a moment, just breathe, sit there, and then let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. Okay, now, now relate to the television set or the computer screen and the microphone as those words. So take, pick one of them and say what comes up, what feelings come up, what thoughts come up. Pick one of the words like computer screen. Well, no. So, so you're gonna you're gonna relate to the computer screen as the word how. So just feel the word how and use the computer screen to be the mirror of whatever that word means for you.
curiosity? Would that be a feeling? Well, keep going, keep talking about it. Just wondering, curiosity, how things work, trying to get to the bottom of things. Okay. Trying to understand. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Just a tiny bit of sadness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. And and where do you feel that in your body? If you were to behind talk my, about behind my eyes, behind your eyes. Okay. You can go on with this word, or you can explore the other word a little bit. Okay, explore the other word. Okay, so now the microphone, and that's the other word, works, right? I don't feel uh, anything about the microphone. I don't have the same feeling about the microphone. Mm -hmm. Uh, doesn't seem important. Hmm. The computer screen is more important. Hmm. Hmm. And and works. Do you feel anything in your body? At the moment, right now? Yeah. Now you can go wherever you want. You're the captain of this ship. I'm just a navigator. So you can go back to the other word. You can dig deeper into the word works. Well, I think I've come up against resistance. Mm -hmm. I think so too. <laughs> With the word works, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Good, good. So, so, um, um, yeah. what does that feel like, resistance? What is it? Tell me what it feels like. Well, feels a bit like, uh, I don't want to disappoint you. Um, I should be performing more. I should be getting into something, right? Um, and, uh, oh, I'm being a bad patient. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting. I, I sensed as a facilitator yeah. a little bit a hint of anger, just a little hint of anger there. Am I right? Or I may be wrong, but I don't feel it. I don't okay. feel it. No. Okay. No. No. All right. Good. So I just I, no. and I'm often wrong. Like we say, we're yeah. often wrong about yeah. things. No, no. I I don't feel. I don't. But resistance, feel. resistance. I I do feel resistance. I I do feel. Um, sort of responsible also, you know, for this program mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and 
I think that this is a good demonstration and I can I can see how it could go in different ways. I, I can see how it could be productive. Um, it's a very it's a very creative way of getting into the unconscious, I think. But we're not quite done yet. Okay. We're not quite done. Because I want to ask you a couple other questions. Go ahead. If you were to describe what age you're feeling right now, what age you are, what number comes into your head? What comes into your head? Seven. Seven, okay. So what happened to you when you were seven? Can you remember? I certainly do, and I don't want to go there. Huh, like you don't want to go no. here. There's a resistance. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of the things that's very important yeah. to notice and to be aware of is that resistance saved your life. Right. And that being suspicious, not being sure you want to go down an alley, is saves your life. So I want to honor that resistance. But we're starting to see a connection between yes. what you're feeling now and the little seven-year-old boy. Yes. That he's, he's there with you. So I would say there's something about that. And you know it. You don't have to talk about it here. And I think it's yeah. important not to yes. because this is a public forum and right. this is private work really underneath it right. all and it should be right. confidential. Yeah. But I want you to begin to see yes. what's suddenly coming up. Uh -huh. Suddenly coming up. Yeah. And and how you can sort of, if you had an hour or so, we can yes. begin to explore it more. Usually use three words. And oftentimes people do this. Right now you're using objects, but people yes. work just as effectively. Now for a moment, if you want to, yeah. let's go back to the first word and see what com what's happened now. How? Mm -hmm. And what do you want me to do with it? Whatever is going on with you. You're a miraculous organism. <laughs> and just be with yourself. Well, a lot of a lot of things are are coming up and once again it's a public forum and uh, I'm really not I totally understand and I'm glad I'm glad and I think it's one of the things I'm learning because this is one of the things I do do with people yeah. now when I've done some of these is I do these sessions a little bit um, and I need to be careful yeah. because it, it's very very powerful it I is think the one thing very very powerful very powerful it is yeah isn't it amazing it is amazing <laughs> it, it, well thank you for introducing me to this yeah, yeah. and uh, let's talk about this some more you know when we are off the air Yes, absolutely. The one thing I would just I would just yeah. end with is, in terms of what this is, is is the recognizing the sadness, recognizing yes. the sadness and recognizing yes. the resistance, yes. and to explore that, you know, because what this also does, and what I want to just do right now yeah. is just just quickly just say to your say out loud, I release myself from these two objects, being these words. I release myself from these two objects and all that goes with it. Yes. yes, that's right. That's good. That's good. So I think what you see right away is in 10 minutes, five, yes. 10 minutes. Yes. Profoundly counterintuitive, but raw, real material comes up. And those are the things that this work can do relatively gently. You know, it's not using drugs. It's not using it's, it's And it's you're in charge. All I'm doing is just gently navigating that I don't have to do too much so that 
as a facilitator, you know, used to be a, you know, a practitioner or whatever you want to call me, it's, it's sitting back and letting the subject, letting you lead the way, which takes a lot of pressure off of the therapist. That's much less, yeah. and also it allows you to be stepped back a little bit more uh -huh. and start to feel something, kind of get yeah. a, more like a world view. So that's what we do. That's, that's what I do. Well, and it's like... Good. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really... really I, I'm not surprised, you know, that it would attract you because it seems like a really powerful uh, method. Yeah. Helping people, you know, get to uh, to the real deep problems that perhaps they have been trying to fight for, for a long, their long time, lives yeah. yes and, and what you know about trauma for instance to yes. keep this objective is whatever was going on at seven years old was probably um, came into being because of something that happened at three years old something yes. that happened two years old something right. that happened probably even in utero right and you slowly work back to that and as you work back through those things you you begin to untangle them and you begin to see that it wasn't something about you it's things that happened to you Right. And then it becomes possible to, to both talk about them openly. I mean, I, I wasn't going to talk too much about what I discovered because I, cause I, I don't, I don't want to make this about me so much, but more about the method. And, and, um, and also, I don't want to over-dramatize the traumas that I went through because in the end, there's all this talk about trauma now. It's really about the inability to bond. So what we want to do is work on the word bonding, which is why, of course, the movie is called The Bond. The, the, the documentary that we're doing right now is it's, it's about bonding. Human beings need to be connected. They need to be connected with other people. And that work, this work does that too. So let me ask you a couple more questions before we run out of time. Yeah. Um, what's the most important thing you have learned in your life? <laughs> that I know nothing. <laughs> that I know absolutely nothing and it's fine. Uh-huh. You know, the James Webb telescope images just brought home for me that I grew up in a world where everyone knew everything when I was a little kid. You know, there's heaven, there's hell, there's this, there's that. We're absolutely certain we can demonize these people. We can do whatever we want to do. What I've learned is I know nothing. It's wonderful to be alive. We don't know where we are even in the planet, in the universe. The universe is incomprehensible. You, know, you talk about the Big Bang theory. Well, as Luke said, my little boy, what was that? What was there before the Big Bang? Right. And if the universe is expanding, what's it expanding into? It doesn't answer any question. That's it leaves right. us as if we take a moment, it leaves us as lost as anything else does. And it's okay. It's okay because we're here. We are here. Whatever for whatever reason, however that works, however you want to describe it. So I've I think what I've learned is I don't know anything and it's okay. So my final question, um, so we are here, why are you here? What is, what is your mission? What do you see your purpose in life to be? It's gotten pretty clear for me, I think. Yeah. It wasn't always clear. It is, it is to, to tell the truth, it is to try and understand the truth. It's actually what you were talking about in the very beginning when we were doing that you know the curiosity yes. that you know that's what came up right away you know yes. wanting to know how things how yes. things work and why i think the closer i can get to the truth the more valuable what i can express becomes for other people because it was fellini and bergman and freud and 
Jung and so many other people that were working toward the truth that helped me to live a full, rich, and very productive life. To be a good father, a good grandfather, a good father again, and a good citizen in a country right now, as you know, in Canada, my country, your country is having its own issues, but my country is having terrible, terrible problems. And I think one of the things is, is to not despair, to know that the human species, if you do your homework and look, has been through terrible, terrible times. And to keep oneself as full and alive as possible, to be there for other people so that we don't make a total mess of it all, you know that we can, we can help each other and, and move forward and evolve. I believe in evolution. That I, I sort of, who knows for sure? I don't know anything for right. sure. <laughs> well, so. you know, Stephen, um, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I really wish we could live closer because uh, I just so enjoy talking to you. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you for being you and thank you for being and this program, um, when um, when anyone listens to this podcast, I would like them to please check the uh, subscribe button. Uh, there's no obligation for you when you do that, uh, but it really helps me in terms of gaining a bigger audience. And I just want to say that next week uh, we have another another incredible guest. Uh, it will be Michael Levin. Uh, Professor Michael Levin, an American developmental and synthetic biologist at Tufts University, where he's the Vannevar Bush Distinguished Professor. Levin is director of the Allen Discovery Center at Tufts University and Tufts Center for Regenerative and Developmental Biology. He's also co-director of the Institute for Computationally Designed Organisms Levin is co-editor-in-chief of the Bioelectricity Journal and founding associate editor of Collective Intelligence. So please, if you have a chance, tune in. And again, thank you, Stephen. Bye for now. My pleasure. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.